Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith to characters like Archie Bunker, Al Bundy, and Homer Simpson. More recently, there was a show called This Is Us that for viewers and for the characters of the show involved a father who they considered a hero. And as the show unfolds, you begin to see his flaws. And people can relate to it because they recognize that no matter how things appear to be, there are always flaws because none of us are perfect. So fathers, future fathers, spiritual fathers, stepfathers, grandfathers, as I speak today, when I say the word father, just know, so I don't have to say that every time, that I'm speaking to you. And also know that for whatever reason, I know that there may some of, be some of you that are playing both the role of mother and father. So the question I have, and this isn't just for fathers, but this is really for all of us in one level or another, how do we rise above the view often portrayed in TV shows and media? Because I believe as men and as fathers that we're called to rise above and become the fathers that God is calling us to be, to set the standard for our homes. But one of the things we need to do to rise above is first things first, we need to keep climbing. Now, I read something interesting about mountain climbers. When they're climbing, uh, one of the main things that they have to look for along the way are poisonous snakes. The snakes can be hidden behind a rock, and they could reach out to grab that rock and, and be struck by that, that snake. Or they could possibly be blended into the ground, and they, didn't need, they don't even see it and happen to step on it and get bitten. A snake bite on a mountain can easily be fatal. It can take hours, even days, to be rescued. So constantly looking out for poisonous snakes needs to be a, a top priority for every mountain climber. But there's something called the snake line when the climbers get to a certain altitude. When they get up high enough, because the air is so thin, they know that the snakes cannot live at that level. They don't have to worry about being bitten by snakes at that height. And in the same way, we are called to rise above the snakes that threaten us every day. The snakes of fear, the snakes of guilt and shame, and the snakes of culture. Keep climbing. Don't get stuck hanging out on the level of snakes. Keep going so that you can rise above. You see, we're called to rise above fear, which we talked about two weeks ago. And we can easily cower and give in to the stereotype of what people think a dad is supposed to be. You can fear messing up and let that keep you from being all that God's called you to be. It can cause you to be crippled by fear and do nothing because you're afraid to fail. But we know and we've learned in Scripture that God does not give us a spirit of fear with the power of a sound mind. So therefore, we don't have to walk in fear. The other thing that we talked about being rising up above is that guilt and shame. Maybe you feel as if you can't speak to your children about certain things because of your past, and you feel that guilt and shame on your shoulders. I'm here to declare from God's word today that you've been cleansed and forgiven, and you don't have to live in that shame and guilt. You are a child of God, and he, and he has done a work in your life. 
But we are also called to rise above culture. Now, on a day like this, I want to acknowledge that a day set aside to celebrate fathers can be a difficult day for many people. For some of you, it's the first time that you've done this since your father passed away. Others of you have situations where your home was nothing to look back on, nothing to look fondly about. Maybe dad was absent or abusive. I want you to know that there is grace from God in the midst of all situations. For those who have had a bad experience with their earthly father, one of the glories of Christianity is that you have a father in heaven who is perfect. He is without mistake and his love is sufficient. Many of you need to cling to that because of the damage done by your home situation. And I can say this morning, I can relate to that. I remember one year after my father passed away of cancer. I was a youth pastor in Worcester, and I remember sitting on the stage, because that's how we did it at our church, and just looking across the congregation. And at the moment, I remember this, in the morning, I was feeling a little sorry for myself. I kind of grew up without my dad, and then he passed away. And I remember looking at, across at many of the faces of the students that were in our student ministry, recognizing that many of them have the same exact issue where dad wasn't around or dad wasn't there for them. You begin to see, you know what, even in the midst of what God brought me through, there are many others that are facing those same circumstances that we can encourage, that we can relate to, that we can connect with. And I began to see that all of that I had been through was in order to relate to many of those students. So whatever situation you're in, we recognize that this may not be an easy day for you, but we do point you to the grace of God. And we point you to a scripture in Psalm 68.5 that I clung on to. It says, God is the father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. So how do we as fathers rise above culture? Don't let culture make you. You make culture. That's the first step. Former Ohio State football coach Urban Meyer, he was from a, a small town in Ohio called Ashtabula, Ohio. This was a town that I lived for many years growing up. He gave a talk to some high school coaches, and he said, you don't win or lose football games with schemes. Schemes are overrated. I can show you people winning with a particular scheme, and I can show you people who are using the same scheme and losing. They're running the same stuff and losing. Scheme is a tiny portion of a coach's job. You win or lose in football with players and with culture. It's a powerful observation. We understand players because if you don't get good enough players, you can do whatever you want to and do whatever scheme that you want to, but you're not going to be able to compete. But what is culture? How do we set a culture in a home? In the simplest terms, culture is what we make out of the world that God has made. God is the only one that can create from nothing. But God has created a world and we are at work in this world, and we make things out of what he has created. 
So it's what we make out of the world that God has made. That's what culture is. Very simple. What we make out of the world that God has made. And it also, it's also about the meaning that we assign to it. We all know that there are different and various musical expressions in different cultures and in different regions, different kinds of music. And each culture does, adds their own little flavor or flair to music. There might even be some culture music right now playing. A little, a little flair, a little xylophone. So culture is what we make out of the world that God has made and the meaning that we assign to it. This is vitally important. A lot of us have jobs. A lot of us have children or grandchildren. A lot of the things may be the same in those terms, but it doesn't all look the same for everyone, does it? Because how it unfolds is dependent upon the meaning that we assign to it and what we make it. There are bookshelves filled with different schemes for parenting. And everyone has a different opinion about how it should be done. And the fact is, some have won at those schemes. And of course, because they won, what do they do? They wrote a book on it so that you can win too. Just follow easy steps that they've done, and it's going to work for you. No questions asked. Money back guarantee, maybe? Or others use the exact same scheme and have lost. Why? Because it depends on the players. Because not all children are the same. It doesn't work the same for each person. So be careful judging other people's schemes. Because if it's not the scheme, then what does it come back to? It comes back to culture in the home. On a football team, the head coach is the primary culture maker. The environment of the program flows down from the coach. Their personality, to some extent, will be replicated by the team. Their values will be replicated in the team. They can say, well, I don't want to make culture. It doesn't matter. They will help determine the culture, whether they like it or not, and they will help determine the atmosphere for a particular program. And there was a man in scripture who needed to rise above the culture of his time, who needed to do things differently, and his name is Noah. In fact, when you begin to read the story of Noah, one of the things that you may recognize is that it's almost as if you're reading the daily headlines of today. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, I'm reading from New Living Translation. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry that he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I made them. And skipping down to verses 11 through 12. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So how did Noah build a culture? How did he build his home team? How did he rise above 
what he saw in the world around him with the standards of the world around him. What Noah did is he set the standard for his home. He couldn't set the standard for the world around him, although he was a good example of people would look at his life. But he began with his home. Noah lived with his family, with a culture evil all around him, so evil that it had to be wiped out. But he became that example to his family, an example on how, the, how to be in the world without being of the world. This example caught the eye of the Lord his God. We see this in Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. It says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He lived counterculturally. So what was that standard? What standard did Noah set for his family? One of the things that we see is that he did not follow the crowd. He didn't read the latest parenting book. He didn't even own a Bible. Think about that for a moment. Didn't even own a Bible. Yet the Bible says that he was righteous. He was in right standing before God. He was blameless. What did they do for that, to become blameless at that time? Some form of sacrifice. You see, Noah set the standard, and the standard was to stand blameless before God, to be righteous. Now, one of the great things about that phrase is that we don't have to be, make ourselves righteous, and we cannot make ourselves righteous. We learned last week that God has given us the same exact opportunity that he gave to Noah, that we can be righteous too. Why? Because he clothes us in his righteousness. Not because of the good works that we did, we've done, but because of the righteousness that he wraps us with. So when God looks down from heaven, when God the Father sees us, our, his sons and daughters, he does not see the sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ wrapped around us. We can have right standing with our Heavenly Father. And we, like Noah, can be righteous and right standing with God. So the standard was to stand blameless before God. In other words, that had to do with your relationship with Him. The second thing he did is he created the standard. And the standard was to walk close in, in close fellowship with God. If you want to rise above culture, you will have to walk in close fellowship with God. You will need to have a relationship that is more than just knowing the facts about who God is or knowing the facts about his word or being able to pass a Bible trivia quiz. It has to be born out of relationship to, in order to walk closely with him. You won't be able to face the distortions of this world if that's all you have are facts. You need to know him. And that's why often in the Christian life, we refer to this as the daily walk with Christ. And Paul said it, I die daily. It's daily. Why? Because none of us can afford to take a day off. Or you'll find yourself swept away in the culture and the world around us. We can't afford a day off. Satan doesn't take any time off either. We need to be prepared daily for whatever we're going to face. And 
The only way that we can do that is if we're spending that time in close relationship, to walk in close fellowship with God. The next thing that was part of his standard was obedience. Obey what God says. Whatever you hear him speak to you, walk forward obediently. You see, Noah heard God, and he obeyed what God called him to do. And God called him to what? Build an ark. Now, this seemed very silly to everybody around him because they've never seen water enough that an ark can go on like that. It didn't make sense. They laughed at him and his family as they worked together to build this ark. But they were going to be obedient to what they heard from God. We, heard this, we hear this referred to in Scripture as wisdom proved them right. Luke 7.35 says, But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. So we come back to Noah, the father. Was he really perfect without sin or blameless? Well, we know later on in the story what happens with him. After the floods dried up, he became a farmer of sorts, and he got drunk naked in his tent. And his sons had to cover him up, cover up his shame. But even though he was not sinless, and he was not perfect, God saved his family from certain disaster because Noah set the standard for his home. Go home today, throw away all those parenting books that give you all kinds of information, and narrow it down to these things. Kids, you want to you live a successful life? Don't follow the crowd. They're not always right. Stand blameless before God. Be covered in his righteousness. It's not in your works that you're righteous, but be covered in his righteousness. Walk in closeness with God. Spend that time daily with him. Let him speak to you. And when you begin to spend that time daily with him, there will be moments where he begins to share some things with you. You, you might get the feeling or a sense that you're supposed to do something. And when you hear that voice, when you get that premonition, that feeling, obey what God tells you to do. Four things. Now, dads, you are the coach of your home. You are the culture maker, the one who helps determine the atmosphere of your home. And you're the one who is given the responsibility to assign meaning to all the things that people see in life that your kids see in life, that your family sees in life. To answer questions like, why do we do what we do? How should we view education or going to school? How should we view serving other people? Or how do we serve other people? How should we view going to church and spending time with others and drawing closer to God? So the culture of home is distinct. And it's distinct based on what the father does to create that culture in the home. And dads, you are the one that creates that atmosphere. You set the stage for the culture of your home. So the question for dads is not whether or not you will build a culture in your home, but what kind of culture are you making? What is the atmosphere of your home? Now this message this morning is not for each of us to focus on our failures. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. 
but it's to point us in a new direction. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. It's never too late to start doing the right thing. But dads, if we're saying, kids, these are the four things for you, you have to set the standard. You have to be the example. You have to not follow the crowd. You have to stand blameless before God because you're covered in his righteousness. You have to walk in close fellowship with your God. Your kids need to see you obeying what God tells you to do. Interesting side note story that we have uh, friends that visit us from Arizona. They have twin boys. You might remember them, Mary Sue and Scott. And uh, when their boys talk about coming to the Cape, they love coming. They would rather come to, the, to Cape Cod with us than to go to Disney World. It's just they've made that choice. They have actually were given that choice, and they said they want to come here. And one of the things they say, it's funny what kids see or observe or you know, notice about the things around them. But one of the kids said, you know, every time when I wake up early, I go upstairs and Uncle John is sitting in his chair reading. And so they explained to him, you know, that's Pastor John's, a, or Pastor John, Uncle John is a pastor and, you know, he studies and he likes to read and he spends time with God every morning. But it's funny the things that kids notice about you, dads. Do they see you not following the crowd? Do they see you standing blameless before God and walking boldly in that, in that blamelessness? Do they see you walking in close fellowship and obeying what God tells you to do? So the honest question this morning for dads is, what kind of culture are you creating in your home? If it's not what it needs to be, it can be. You don't need a certain amount of money. You don't need a certain status of trust or bless, uh, uh, status of trust or being blessed or reverence to embrace the peace of the gospel. All you need is a willing heart. You can move in a new direction today, and it might be a little clumsy at first. It may be a little awkward at first. And there may be missteps along the way, and that's okay. But God calls us fathers to set the standard. It all begins with relationship. And this morning, you could be made right before God today. You can start new today. And just in a minute, you'll have the opportunity to pray a prayer to begin that new journey today. But I'm speaking to all fathers, whether you're future fathers, spiritual fathers, grandfathers, stepfathers, great-grandfathers, it's time to set the standard by example. And it's never too late to begin now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. All the things I have done make me new today. Give me a new beginning. Help that to start in me today. Lord, help me to set the standard for my family. Give me the discernment to not follow the crowd. Help me to stand before you blameless, clothed in your righteousness. Help me, and help me to create the disciplines to walk closely in fellowship with you. And Lord, when I hear from you, help me to obey what I hear. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand this morning as I read this blessing or this charge really to you from Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. It says, So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. This morning my charge to you is to go and set the standard. Happy Father's Day. God bless you. Have a great day today.